Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, you say that your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Would it come to life now in our midst? Lord, would your Holy Spirit just bring life to these words? Would you illuminate them? Would you, uh, Lord, help us to see you in a way we've never seen you before? Would you bring conviction, Lord, if we need convicted? Would you encourage if encouragement is needed? Come now in our midst. Bring your word to life and change our hearts this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, if you were here last week, um, we started our series on spiritual gifts. Uh, This is a series that we're going to be working through for the next probably couple months uh, as we start to take a look at some of the individual gifts themselves and what do they look like, how do we use them, some of that kind of stuff. But last week was just kind of an overview of spiritual gifts. Um, If you weren't here, I would encourage you, all of our messages are available online, elkinsalliance.com, to go back and check them out. These are going to kind of build on each other, and so if you miss a week, it's going to be really helpful um, to go back and kind of hear where we've been. But by way of a recap, um, last week, talking about spiritual gifts, we defined them like this. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities given to believers for use in service to his kingdom. Supernatural abilities given to believers, those who follow Jesus Christ, for use in service to this kingdom. Abilities that when used have a supernatural effect or response far beyond what should be expected naturally. We talked about the difference between someone that's just a a very talented, let's say, public speaker. And they can get up and they speak well and they elocute and, and, and their thoughts are very well put in order. The difference between that that we, we would look at in the world and we would go, wow, what a gifted person. But we see that when spiritual gifting comes in and someone that's gifted to teach and preach, it goes far beyond that. They take their natural talents and abilities, but when, when put in contact with these spiritual gifts, all of a sudden there's this supernatural response. People's hearts are cut to the quick and there's conviction All of a sudden, people start hearing from the Lord and and getting clear direction on here's the next step the Lord has for me because of what this person's done. It's not something that that person can, can polish up their speech enough to do. But when the Holy Spirit moves in spiritual gifting, all of a sudden there's this supernatural effect or response that comes from it. We looked at Jesus in talking about his kingdom, uses a parable, the parable of the talents. We took a little time to talk about it. When he says talents, he's not talking about like talents and abilities. Talents back then was a sum of gold, and actually a very large sum of gold, worth like 16 years wages. And there was this master who was leaving town, and so he called in three servants, and he gave them each an amount of talents and said, take care of these while I'm gone, I'll be back. To one he gave five talents, to one he gave two, to another he gave one. And he disappears for a while. He comes back, it doesn't say how long it is later, but it kind of catches him by surprise a little bit. And he comes back in, he calls those servants to himself, and he says to the, the one who has five talents, show me, what do you got? And he comes in excited and he says, Master, I took the five talents you gave me, I put them to work, and look, I have five more. And the master is so pleased, he says, come, share in your master's joy. Then he says to the one who had two talents, 
what do you got for me? Master, I took your two talents you gave me, I put them to work, and now I have two more to show for it. The kingdom is being advanced. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's joy. And then he comes to the one that he gave one talent. And he says, what do you got for me? And this man Jesus describes as a wicked and lazy servant who comes in and goes, look, I don't really like the way you do things. I'm paraphrasing now. I don't really trust that you're very good. And so I just took what you gave me. I buried it in the backyard. And look, here it is, just like you gave it to me. And the master removes him from his presence. And it says that he's cast into a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, just just anguish and bitterness. And what he has was given to the one who had 10 now. And, And Jesus was saying, look, the father has gifted us. And we're to put those gifts to work. Be that spiritual gifts, natural talents and abilities. I don't draw hard lines between them because, man, they, they weave together so well. But he says we're called to put those to work in the kingdom. Those that go and just bury it, it doesn't end well for uh, After that message last week, I had an incredibly beautiful woman, my wife, Shirley laughs. She got it. She knows where I'm going. Uh, who came up to me and said, you know, hey, there was just something the Lord uh, shared with me that I'd really like to, um, to share with the body. And so, Chris, actually, the next slide is a video, if you want to make sure the sound is on for it. So last week when we were studying the parable of the talents, there was a phrase that stuck out to me. When, the, when Jesus is talking about how the servant who received five talents went off and the phrase that stuck out was he put them to work this just jumped off the page to me in a new way um, and it was specifically about something that the Lord has called me to use my talents and abilities and experiences with this season of life and that happens to be the Awana game director so um, I oftentimes joke and say that I have my college degree in gym class So, see, I know that God has given me the talents that it takes to do that job. I have my degree in exercise science, which just means I took a whole bunch of gym classes in college and learned why um, games are fun and our bodies need to move. So I have that knowledge that he's given me. And yet when I had heard about the opening meeting field for an Awana game director, I was very hesitant. And to be honest, if I really look at why I was hesitant, is I didn't want to give up that evening. With four kids at home and running them here and there, sometimes in the past years, um, that has been our time to just drop them off and take a break. And that's been a great time, and that's been very sweet to my heart for those seasons. But as we grow and as our kids grow, um, that season does change. And I did feel this pressing, this urging to use those gifts, those talents, those abilities that God has given me both just in who I am and what I love to do, as well as the experiences that he's grown that through. And he was really putting it on my heart to say yes to this. And my hesitation from that point on was, but it is going to be work. And that's true. And so I just love that that was pointed out, that that the servants receive those talents, but they go out and they put them to work. It is work in that game room to control the volume and make sure people and things aren't getting damaged. But 
it's for his good it's his talents and by doing that I can trust him by actually putting in that work I'm choosing to trust him that he is going to be my rest he is going to be my strength he is going to honor the work that I do um, not for my own good although he does bring a lot of fun um, a lot of sweet moments from that but that he's going to honor that with a return for his kingdom so I hope that you're encouraged if you're feeling a pull to use your talents in some way, but it is going to cost you, it's going to be work, that you will hear um, from me that we can go to work with our Heavenly Father in these things, that we can put those talents to work. And it isn't going to be easy, but it is going to be blessed because we're there with Him and we can trust Him in those hard times and in that crazy schedule and in that kind of energy that it takes to put in that work that he is going to use that for his glory and to his honor and that he's going to build his kingdom through it and that we get to join him in that I told you she was beautiful she excused herself she knew that was coming and didn't want to see herself on the screen so uh, I can say whatever I want about her she wanted oh hey babe <laughs> We were just talking about you. Just be cool. But the thing that I love about that is it really illustrates how we ended last week's message in saying, so many people I have come up to me and go, man, I want to know what my spiritual gifts are. Help me take this test. How do I know what they are? Do I just pray a prayer? What, what do we do? And we said the way that you discern what your spiritual gifts are is you go serve. We, our gifts are revealed through service. And too many of us, it, I'm telling you, she said it perfectly, it's so much easier to just bury it in the backyard. That sounds like work. I don't want to do that. And then we sit there, we hear uh, passages like Apostle Paul talking about spiritual giftings, that stuff, and we go, how come I don't see mine? How come I don't know what mine are? And I believe oftentimes it's because we haven't gone and service to find out. Uh, so I appreciate Kim's word with that. Uh, here, here was the, kind of the main thought from last week. We cannot be fully involved in kingdom life without understanding and utilizing our gifts. That's where the, the whole thing was going. We've got to understand what our gifts are because if we're really going to be fully involved in kingdom life, we have to understand and utilize our gifts. It, it's not enough to just be okay with Jesus, have your good quiet time and come to church regularly and you're okay. He says, those in the kingdom put the talents to work, to advance the kingdom. Amen. That's what it means to be involved in the kingdom. Understanding and utilizing our gifts is key. But here's where we're going to go today, a bit, a bit of a cautionary tale. Gifts alone aren't enough. Some of us just are thinking, man, if I just had, uh, if I understood what my spiritual gifts are, if I just knew God gifted me to do this, we'd be golden. And I'd just jump into it and everything would be great. But gifts alone aren't enough. We're going to read a big passage from 1 Corinthians 12. It's up on the screen. He's, Chris is going to be scrolling for a while. It's a longer passage. I always encourage you, bring your Bibles with you when you come. I don't care if it's digital. I don't care if it's print. Uh, it's just easier sometimes to follow along that way. Uh, and some have asked. I read from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. If, if it's difficult to kind of follow along from a different version and you're trying to find it online, uh, the HCSB is what I typically read from if that makes it easier for you. Uh, but let's read as the Apostle Paul uh, is dealing with an issue that the Corinthian church was having around gifts. Uh, so starting in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12. 
For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So we can read that, and honestly, for a long time when I would read that, I would kind of get lost sometimes in the many parts in one body, but one body in many parts, and it would get kind of confusing uh, at a time. But when you start to understand why Paul was writing about this, sometimes we forget what we have uh, in the scriptures are typically response letters. The churches were dealing with some issues, and then Paul would respond to the church. And so here, Paul is responding to an issue that the church was having. There was a whole lot of eyes are better than feet. Feet are useless. Do we even really need feet? And feet going, man, if I'm not an eye, why am I even here? And there was all of this comparison and something we're going to be talking a lot about. We've already talked about this morning. I think it's beautiful how God weaves it together. There was all of this pride in these gifts are better and more useful and make me more important. And if you don't have these gifts, you're less than. He, uh, Paul uses the term less honorable, less presentable. If you don't have some gift that lets you stand up on a platform and be seen, you're kind of second class. You don't matter as much. Sometimes that was put on them and sometimes the opposite of pride looks like, oh, why should I even bother? If I don't have that gift, why even bother? And there was all of this confusion around spiritual gifting and comparison and pride. And some people were using their spiritual gifts to club other people over the head. Some people were going, if this is all the gifts I get, I'm kind of disqualified. I'm out. And it was a mess. And essentially, here's what Paul is saying. Gifts without maturity can destroy us. Gifts without character are incredibly dangerous. These people had gifts of the Holy Spirit. They had been given tools to use to advance the kingdom, but instead they used them to fight one another, to put themselves above one another, to hoard power and prestige, to keep people down. They had been given spiritual gifts, but they didn't have the maturity or the character to support them. And they were destroying each other. 
Paul is encouraging them to honor and respect all gifting because in here he says all the gifts come from one what? Anybody know? Spirit. It all comes from the one spirit. He says, look, you didn't do a thing to earn this. This was a gift. Let's not forget what that word means. Given to you by the Holy Spirit. Pride has nothing to do with this. If you've been given one of those upfront, more flashy gifts, humble yourself. Remember, the spiritual gifts were given for use in service to his kingdom, not mine. These were not gifts given so that I could have a bigger, better platform, so that more people would know my name, so that people would respect me or that people would need me. They were given to me so that in humility, I would serve. They were given to me to build you up. Your gifts were given to you to build me up. They had completely missed this. In their immaturity, they were using their gifts selfishly. You see, some people kind of, and I think they were falling into this as well, fall into this uh, misthinking that says certain gifts are a sign of maturity. If you have this gift, if you're able to speak in front of people, if you're able to kind of share the word, automatically you're super mature. And if you don't have one of those gifts, it's probably because you're less mature. They had this thing, and we're going to look at it in coming weeks, where they would say, look, if you have the gift of tongues... And we're going to talk about what that means, because even me saying that, some of you just clenched a little bit. It's okay. We're going to deal with it. But they would say, if you have the gift of tongues, you're paramount. You're up here. You're in. And everyone else, they're still waiting to get in, you know, kind of thing. This church was dealing with this at the time, and, and Paul's going to deal with it. But they had these gifts that, like, went, the real followers, those who really follow Jesus, those who God really wants to use, they have these gifts, and everyone else was secondary. And it was destroying them. Gifts are not a sign of maturity in the kingdom. They're a tool given by the Father to be used to build His kingdom. But God doesn't wait until we're already mature to give us the gifts. We can argue with Him one day about that, of whether that's wise or not. I think He'll win. But let's take a look at the disciples. Jesus has his 12 that are following him through, for three and a half years. If anyone should get it, it would be these guys, right? But they don't. So, it, sometimes you read the Gospels and you go, come on, Pete. Really? Like, they missed the boat probably more times than they didn't. Yet we also look, and Jesus entrusted these men with incredible spiritual power and authority sending them out even two by two to go and advance the kingdom. And they came back and went, we cast out demons, we healed the sick, like we saw some crazy things happening, and you would think they're starting to get it. And then you read the next sentence, and it says, and as they were going along, they started to argue with themselves about who was the greatest in the kingdom. And people always talk about, oh, Jesus is so patient, and sometimes I read it and Jesus is like, guys, how long? Come on. Like, are you kidding me? You just saw God move in these amazing ways. And out of their immaturity came, I'm going to be the greatest. I, I, my story has to be the best. Everyone's going to be telling it. Everyone in the kingdom is going to know my name. 
Two of them even sneak off when they don't think anyone else is paying attention and go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Right hand, left hand. When you sit on your throne, we'll be right next to you. We'll be your boys. And then the other ten find out, and again an explosion happens, and they start arguing amongst themselves. These men were given incredible spiritual power and authority long before they had the maturity to hold it up. Again, we can ask, why would God do that? Why wouldn't he just wait until we were mature enough and then give us the gifts? A couple just kind of human illustrations that helped me think this through. As I started thinking about it, he's our heavenly father. We're his children, right? So I started thinking, what if your dad, let's say, was a contractor? And your dad wanted you to follow in his footsteps. So when you're pretty young, dad starts taking you to work with him now and again. And he says, you know, if you're going to be a contractor, you're going to need to know how to use a hammer and nails. So your dad brings you a little kid along and puts a dangerous weapon in your hand and starts to show you, here's how to use the hammer and nail. At first, it's hand over hand showing you how to do it. But at some point in time, dad's going to step back and go, all right, son, show me what you got. What are the odds you as a little kid hammer your thumb? Pretty good, right? And how many of you have ever hammered your thumb before? That's not something you forget, right? That's a lesson that sticks with you. Would we turn and go, what a horrible father. How dare he? No. He knew the only way my son is going to learn to use these tools is if I let him go. None of us is perfect at learning. We all make mistakes as we're going. We all hammer our thumbs as we make it through. But the Father says these tools are so valuable. You need these tools so much that it's worth the risk. Think about how many of you have kids that you like to do outdoor stuff with? Four of you. Perfect. Steve, you can put up both hands. Yeah. You teach your kids fire safety, right? Look, if we're going to be outdoors, fire is a part of this. We got to stay warm. We got to eat. Like, fire is a survival tool. How many of us wait until there's zero chance our kids were ever going to burn themselves before you show them what fire is and how to use it? You don't. It, it's risky. But if I want them to do this well, if I want them to have this skill, I got to bring them in when there's a chance they could get burned. So my kids, there's a chance they could burn everyone else. <laughs> but it's, this is a skill they need. And so even while it's dangerous i got to put the tools in their hands and start walking with them through it. God does the same thing with us. He gives us spiritual gifts, sometimes even before we have the maturity or the character to hold it up. And listen, that's when pride can be so dangerous. He, but these gifts are so valuable. They're such a part of what he wants to do through his church that the risk is worth it. So gifts without maturity can destroy us. Gifts without character are incredibly dangerous. But the Father wants to walk with us through that. The second part is this. Gifts without love are pointless. You guys have heard this before. Paul, uh, right after chapter 12, starting verse 13, he says, If I speak in human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, 
And if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not love, I gain nothing. Spiritual gifts without the motivation of love, without the motivation of building you up, they're not even just dangerous, they're pointless. They will bear the kingdom no fruit. You may get your name known to your own detriment, but the kingdom will not move forward without love. Man, I love it. Paul doesn't just go, yeah, I mean, you're not going to be able to do a lot. Mark used to do this all the time, and I think it's so powerful. You will do no thing. Nothing. Faith that can move mountains. I get the gifts of prophecy, and I can speak the words of God. But without love, nothing will be accomplished. The gifts are dangerous without maturity without character, and they are pointless without love. But I believe that every believer can grow in their gifting by seeking godly character and love. Every one of us can grow and develop in our spiritual gifts by seeking godly character and love. We touched on this passage last week, uh, the, the verse that Paul uses to tie together chapter 12, where he goes, man, let's list some gifts, let's talk about them, because you guys are missing it, and chapter 13, which is like the love chapter, if you've been to a wedding, you've heard it read, the verse that ties them all together is Paul saying this in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. He goes, look, there should be something inside of you that goes, I want the gifts I'm supposed to have. I want the gifts that are going to help me move the kingdom forward as much as possible. Wherever I am, there's almost this holy discontent that I want to be more. I want to be doing more. I want to go to work every day with the Father. Desire greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Jump to verse 4 in chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul goes, look, you want to get this gifts thing right. Let's start with your motivation. If it's not love, it needs to be. Let me show you how to desire these greater gifts. Love. Serve. We have to start with this premise, and it will, it will go against every shred of pride you have in you, and we all have more than we're comfortable with. Your life is not about you. You have been bought at a price if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Your life is not about you. It's about his kingdom. And in his kingdom, others are more valuable. In his kingdom, love is the only motivation that matters. Everything else negates. Any motivation other than love and service leads us to, as Paul said in the verses before this, nothing. So, so how do we make that change? If we're in here this morning and we're going, you know, I, there is a lot of pride behind my desire to use these gifts. There's not that, that love and service like, 
First step is recognizing. Is that you here this morning? When we talk about how dangerous those gifts can be without maturity, without character, is there something in you going, yeah, I I need to be careful. I got to check my motivations. When we talk about this, seeking the gifts for the good of other people, if there's something in you that resonates, just that's not where I'm at. Start there. Admit. The Bible uses the word confess. Lord, that's not where I'm at. I, I agree with you that that's where I need to be, but I confess that that's not where I am. That's where this whole thing starts. Confession and repentance. I love Mark sharing earlier where he said, Lord, show me every time pride is in my life. I, I want to be aware of it, not just so that I can go, oh, that's how big it is. I know Mark's heart. It's so that I can confess it and repent of it in the moment. I want to turn away from it. So we have to start with where am I now? Not where do I want other people to think that I am, but truly, what's my heart's motivation? Confess and repent. From there, the way forward is this. Seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Listen to Paul's description of love, of this perfect motivation that will move the kingdom forward, that will show power and glory to God. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. does not act improperly. is not selfish. is not provoked. does not keep a record of wrongs. Listen to that, and now let's compare it to Paul's list of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. Those lists match up ridiculously well. It's almost like Paul had something going on behind the scenes where he went, I want him to catch this. They're the same list. Paul's not just in 1 Corinthians going, so you better try to be patient, and you better try to be kind, and you better try. He's going, here's what love looks like, and pretty quickly you're going to recognize you can't do that in your own life. In and of myself, I'm always going to rejoice in some kind of evil. There's always going to be a pride, something that kind of strokes my ego, and in me I'm going to go, I am pretty good. But through the Holy Spirit, there's conviction, and he goes, we don't rejoice in that. We rejoice in truth. We need patience and goodness and faithfulness and and self-control, things that only the Holy Spirit can provide. And as we grow in these and as we grow in love, guess what comes right along with it? Maturity and character. And now I'm able to take these tools that the Father has put in my tool belt and use them for kingdom purposes because I've been allowing the Holy Spirit to fill me every day. Let me, uh, we're going to finish with this. I'm going to try to clear up a little bit. Some people have some confusion when it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there's different terminologies out there, baptism of the Holy Spirit and filling, and people will argue as the day is long about some of these things. Let me share with you my uh, understanding of the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit, first of all, is not that we need to get more of the Holy Spirit in us, because there just wasn't enough that first time. I got a cup, but man, I need a gallon of the Holy Spirit inside of me. Each of us... When we become a follower of Jesus Christ, when we cross that kingdom threshold, wherever that may be, 
We are given the Holy Spirit, all of them, 100%. The problem isn't I need more of him, God shorted me, he didn't give me enough. The problem is I'm not giving him all of me. I've equated to this board, and you guys have probably heard this before. It's like when we uh, start following Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in. Jesus says in, in Revelation 3, Behold, I, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him, and they'll eat with me. There's this idea of, I'm waiting, and when you open the door, I step over the threshold, and I'm here. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes in. Here's how most of us receive him, though. Great. Uh, stay in the foyer. House is a mess. Skeletons in the closet. This is your area. Where the carpet starts, you stop. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is this process of him going, what's in that door? And everything in us goes, not that door. I don't want to go there. But being filled with the Spirit is about going, okay, Lord, come on in. There's death in there, and it's ugly, but you promised to bring life in there. So let's go deal with that. And I begin to give him greater access. And as I do that, I am, as the Bible says, filled with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, there's a spike in my maturity and in my character. There's a spike in my ability to love other people, to live humbly and selflessly. Because the more access I give him, the more he makes me like him. Not like him, like enjoy him. Like him, like transformed into him. And you would like him more. It works. The more I become like him, the more I grow in character, the more I grow in love, the more powerful I become in using the gifts the Lord has given me to advance his kingdom. We have to have this set as a foundation as we go through. Otherwise, we're just putting power tools in the hands of children and telling them, go have fun. And we will destroy ourselves. I believe that in the coming months, we're going to see God move in some ways we haven't seen him move before. And we're probably going to be uncomfortable with some of it. And if we don't have this baseline of maturity to go, okay, I don't even know what to do with that, but let's invite the Lord in and lean in. Or, this is my gift and they better respect it. Dangerous, so dangerous. If we don't have this baseline of maturity and love, we will destroy ourselves. Nowhere do I see God's just going to not give the gifts until we're ready. He's waiting to pour out His Spirit and to, to, to reveal His gifts. But we got to understand what it is to walk humbly. Or else we're going to kill each other. So, next week we're going to start looking at some individual gifts and moving forward. But we're going to end this morning with just having a time... Uh, we're going to have a few minutes of silence, and then as we sing our last song, which is Spirit Lead Me, that whole idea of, Lord, I want to become like you. I want to go where you go kind of idea. But first, we're just going to spend a minute in silence, simply asking the Lord this, Lord, are there any doors in my life you're knocking on that I've got the lock on? I'm, I'm standing between you going, nope, not that one. If those are there, reveal them to me and give me the courage to let you in. The Lord will lead us. He'll bring light where there's darkness. I don't have to call out in each and every one of us. That's his job. Will we give him the space to do that? So let's take a minute, and, and right where you're sitting, simply just ask that, Lord, is there any place that I've made off limits to you? If so, just let me know, and then allow him in. 
Take a minute. Lord Jesus, none of us are finished products. We all have places that we're holding back from you. We all have areas we're scared to let you into. Lord, we all struggle with pride. We all struggle with, I can do this myself. No one ever needs to know. And Lord, those are exactly the things that are holding us back. May you show yourself as good. Lord, truly, the, the fear behind letting you into those areas is, is he really good? What's he going to do with it when he's in there? May we truly have a childlike faith that trusts that their father is good and their father can do anything. Lord God, when we come to you with open hands, I believe we will see miracles. May you move in the hearts of your people. Lord, may you bring conviction to those areas that we've called off limits. May you bring courage and boldness as we begin to unlock the door and throw the door open. God, may we feel peace and comfort that comes from your presence with us, even in the scariest of places. And may you transform our church, our town, our state because of the obedience. Move, we pray, Lord Jesus. Pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour out the gifting that is necessary to advance the kingdom. And may we follow you step by step of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the music team to come up. And as we sing this last song, Spirit Lead Me, really make it a prayer. It's a very practical song. Lord, what you call me to set down, I'm going to set down. What you tell me to pick up, I'm going to pick up. Would you, would you pray this as you sing it?